You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. I've got a chunky word for you, so I need you to lean in tonight. Don't check out. I need you to really lean in. Don't miss out on what God wants to say to you. You can go ahead and start making your way over to Ephesians chapter 2. And I believe God is going to speak to you tonight. Why? Because God created his kids to speak to him. He created you with the ability to hear him. And not only that, to be led by his voice. And so I say this every week, but I mean it. Do whatever you got to do. Don't be distracted. Don't let your neighbor distract you. Don't let yourself get distracted. Because there's an opportunity for you to hear the voice of God tonight. Amen? Amen. Okay, we're just halfway through this incredible series, nine-week series right now, called The Way of the Spirit versus The Way of the Flesh. You guys are paying attention tonight. And in this conversation, we are looking at what Galatians chapter 5 talks about, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we're doing two things strategically in this series. We are looking at the fruit of the Spirit, but we're also looking at the fruit of the Spirit's arch enemy, the way of the flesh, right? Because the reality is, we've been talking about this this whole series, you are either producing fruit of the Spirit or producing fruit of the flesh. There's no middle ground. There's no just like existing. It's one or the other. And so in this series, what we're doing is we're making the battle that rages inside of all of us as clear as possible. Here's the fruit you want. Here's the fruit you don't want. And we've hit so many topics so far, but instead of recapping them, you can go back and listen to the podcast if you want to. I wanna remind us real quick before we get into the word, how this fruit is produced. Because in a series like this, if we're not careful, what we can start to do is we can start to recognize that producing fruit of the spirit is hard work if you're trying to do it on your own, right? If you're trying to produce the fruit of the spirit on your own, in your own strength, it's really hard. And if we're not careful in a series like this, we can start to look at ourselves, and we can start to see some fruit of the flesh in our life. And these thoughts can start to come to, to the surface. Man, I, I just suck at being a Christian. I just suck at walking in the way of the spirit. But that is not the response we're to have in this series. Because it's not called the fruit of the good, hardworking Christian. Hello. It's not called the fruit of Jackson when he's had his cup of coffee in an uninterrupted quiet time. It's not the fruit of Gavin. It's not the fruit of Caden. It's not the fruit of Zane. It's not the fruit of Liberty. Hello, do you hear me tonight? It's called the fruit of the what? The fruit of the Spirit. So look at this. I wanted to read this commentator to you, John Vernon McGee. He says this about the fruit of the Spirit. This is such a good reminder for us of how this has grown in our life. It says he wants fruit, talking about Jesus. He wants fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. Somebody say much fruit. In his parable of the sower, he spoke of seed bringing forth 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. He wants us to bear much fruit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is produced by the Lord Jesus using the Spirit of God in our lives. He wants to live through us. Pay attention right here. That is why I keep saying that you are never asked to live the Christian life. You are asked to let him, Jesus, live his life through you. No believer can live the Christian life himself. The old nature cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit. 
Amen? Amen. So this is a reminder to you that during this series, if you start to see the way of the flesh in your life, our response should not be, I suck, I need to try harder. Our response should be, okay, I'm seeing the fruit of the flesh in my life. Where am I not let Jesus live his life through me? Where am I not let, letting Jesus have access to my heart? And that's how we respond. That's how we produce fruit. Okay? okay? Amen? Good reminder. So tonight we're talking about what I think is a underrated, underdog, misunderstood fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about the way of goodness versus the way of brokenness. If you're taking notes, write that down. The way of goodness versus the way of brokenness. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me tonight? Father, thank you so much for your spirit. God, I thank you that we can connect to the spirit of the living God tonight. And I thank you that it is a gift, that our salvation, our relationship with you, we could never earn it. We don't have to because it says that in our sin, you died for us. So it's a complete gift to us. And so I thank you for that gift. God, let us not waste that gift we want to walk in the way of the Spirit. And so tonight, Holy Spirit, show us what does goodness look like in our life? What does goodness look like? And what does it look like to walk in the way of goodness that overcomes the broken world that we see ourselves in today? We love you. I pray soften hearts tonight. Speak through me tonight, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Okay. Ephesians chapter 2. Chunky passage, y'all. All right. So don't check out on me. I'm going to read a little bit, but do we like the word of God here? Are we in church tonight? Okay, okay, just making sure. So don't, don't, don't check out, but this is a really, really stinking good passage of Scripture. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 2, here's what it says. It says, and you were dead. Somebody say dead. dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, talking about the way of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Looks kind of dark, looks kind of gloomy, but look at this, verse four, but God. Somebody say, but God. But God, being rich in mercy. Mm rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Are y'all still with me? Can we keep going? Is this some good stuff? Okay, verse eight, this is good stuff, y'all. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. No works, so that no one may boast. For, this is the best part right here, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. If you've got a physical Bible, circle that. If you've got you version up, highlight that. Somebody say good works. good works. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Man, that's a good passage right there. We love the word of God here. Now, 
talking about the fruit of the Spirit. When I was getting into my office Monday morning to study this specific fruit, I was really excited about this message, and here's why. Sometimes I'm excited to preach a message because I know a lot about this specific topic, and sometimes I'm excited to preach a message because I don't know very much about it. And some of the best messages I've, some of my favorite messages I've preached are of topics and subjects where I came in Monday morning and I'm like, just a clean slate. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Would you show me what goodness looks like? And man, this was one of those for me because I think if we're all being completely honest tonight, the fruit of goodness is a hard fruit to explain. Now, even though uh, we are learning a lot of things in this series about all these different fruits of the Spirit, I think we can all agree that there are some fruits of the Spirit that are a little more obvious than others, right? Like, think about patience. We talked about patience a couple weeks ago. I'm sure God gave you some, like, some fresh nuggets of wisdom in that message. But for the most part, like, it's patience, right? We all have some idea of what patience is. It's a form of waiting. Think about a fruit of the Spirit we haven't talked about yet, self-control. We haven't even talked about this yet, but I'm sure... Everybody in the room has some idea of what self-control is, right? It's in the name, the ability to control one's self, self-control. But with goodness, though, goodness is, what in the world is goodness? What is good? Like, for real, it's a kind of a vague fruit of the Spirit, if we're not, if we're not, if we're being completely honest. And that's because when I was getting into uh, Monday to start studying this, I discovered that Man, goodness is a word. Good is a word that we use for basically everything in life. It's a super vague word. Like, think about this. How are you doing today? Good. How's the movie? It's good. How's your family doing? We're good. Hey, I saw that it was your birthday on Instagram last week. How was your birthday? It's good. I saw that you had some in and out last week. What was it? It was good, right? That's right. Hey, who said, who said nasty? Get them out of here, okay? I'm just kidding. You know I had to throw that in there. How are you doing? I'm good, right? You hear what I'm saying? It's a vague description. And not only that, though the term good, the word good is something that we, are, we, are, we pick up at a very early age, and we're never actually told how to use this word. I was thinking about my daughter, Marlo. Marlo is turning two in eight days, which is crazy. But y'all, my daughter, Marlo, has been saying the word good for at least a year, like She's been saying good for a long time. Like every single morning when I go wake up Marlo, I go pick her up out of her crib. And the first thing I say is, Marlo, how'd you sleep last night? And it's so cute. She says this in her little girl voice. She goes, I slept good. <laughs> then I walk Marlo over to the kitchen and I stick her on the counter. I make Haley and I some coffee. And I, she, she's usually eating an Eggo waffle at this point. And so I, looked at, I, look, I look at Marlo and I say, hey, Marlo, how's that Eggo waffle? She says, it's good. And then every day when I come home from work, the first thing I say to Marlo is I, I go to Marlo and I say, Marlo, how was your day at daycare today? And she said, it was good. And it doesn't matter what kind of day she had. She probably didn't nap. She probably fussed a lot. Maybe she got in a little toddler brawl with another kid in school. But she'll always say, it was good. Now, I've never, I've never sat Marlo down and I've never taught her the word good. Like, I've never told her, hey, this is how you use the word good, this is what it means, and this is how you need to use it. And, and I would bet money that all of us are in the exact same boat as Marlo. 
We use this word a lot, but we've never been taught what it actually means. And not only that, we don't even think good is that good. <laughs> like good is not, I mean, good is good, but it's not the best. Like in terms of goodness, would you say good is better than amazing? Just being honest? No, right? Like think about this. If, if Haley and I were getting ready to go to like a wedding or something, and Haley just got finished getting ready, she's in this amazing dress. She just finished doing her hair, her makeup's all done, and then she comes and asks me the question. You know what the question is, right? How do I look? How many of you know, if I respond with, you look good, that is not good. If I say, you look good, she's going to be like, good? Just good? Are you hearing me? There's even a book written, and it's called From Good to Great. So, like, we don't even think good is that good. So, with all of that being said, why does the Holy Spirit throw goodness into this clump of fruit called the fruit of the Spirit? Would you want to know? Yeah. Like, why does the Holy Spirit do this? What is goodness? What does it look like? And how do we walk in the way of goodness? Well, to help us give an understanding of this word, we're going to do two things tonight. First, it's going to be quick, but we're going to look at the Greek. Uh-oh. So look at your neighbor and say, we're looking at the Greek. The, the second thing we're going to do is we're going to look at how God uses this word good all throughout Scripture. And it's going to give us a framework of what goodness looks like in the life of a believer. Y'all ready for this? Okay. If you're taking notes, write this down. The word, the Greek word used for the word good in the New Testament, in, in, the, in Galatians chapter 5 specifically, is the Greek word agathos or agathosune. Ooh. Look at your neighbor say agathosune. You looking agathosune today. Somebody got that. Okay. What does it mean? It means this, uprightness of heart and life, morally honorable and pleasing to God, beneficial for other people. So it carries this idea of being morally good, living a life that's pleasing to God. It's this picture of a person who is living a life aligned with what God says is good, not what we say is good. So chances are that movie that you saw that you said was good, it was probably fine, but it wasn't Agatha Sune good, right? <laughs> chances are that waffle that Marlo said was good, it was fine, but it wasn't morally upright and pleasing to God and beneficial for other people, right? It wasn't agathosune good. Now, what's, what's interesting about this word, agathosune, is it's only used four times, four or five times in the New Testament. So it's hard to get a great understanding of what goodness looks like with just these four words. But when we look at the, the English word good, throughout all of, the, all of the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, we get a really great, great picture of what goodness is supposed to look like. So I wanna hit you really quickly with a bunch of scriptures with the word good in it. Are y'all ready to write these references down? Let's go. The first one is the one we opened up with, Ephesians 2.10. It says this, for we are created, or we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, what's that word? Good, good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Next one is this, Acts 10, 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good, good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Nahum 1, 7. The Lord is, good. 
The Lord is good, a refuge in time of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. Psalm 37, three, trust in the Lord and do good. do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pastures. And then the last one is my favorite one. Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's right. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. We are told to prove the goodness of God, to cleave to it, do it, to work it, to follow after it, to be zealous about it, to imitate it, and to overcome evil with it. Now, I love this. Pastor Sarah preached about this two years ago, and she said that the fruit of the the, the fruit of goodness is not just a good fruit, it's the overcoming fruit. Come on. It's not just a good fruit of the Spirit, it's the overcoming fruit of the Spirit. But this fruit of goodness is not just about like doing your typical good person stuff, like holding the door open for people or picking up trash or not taking up three parking spots when you park somewhere. Keep doing those things. Those are good things. But it's not Agatha Sune good. There's a deeper good, a deeper goodness that God is asking us to walk in. And a great way that we can start looking at this is by going to the very beginning. Look at this. I love these two commentators, what they say about the word good. Al Walters says this. This is kind of deep. I want you to lean with me. It says, it is quite striking that virtually all of the basic words describing salvation in the Bible imply a return. Somebody say return. Return. A return to an originally good state or, or situation. And then another Bible scholar says this. He says, the notion of good cannot be separated from the idea of an object's purpose. So hold on. What do I mean by both of those quotes? In other words, what this means is something is good. Somebody say good. good. Something is good when it is returning to its original designed state. I hope you're getting this. Something is good when it is doing what it was originally designed to do. And this makes a lot of sense when you think about creation, when you think about the biblical narrative. So let's go back to the very beginning of the creation story. God, what is he doing? He's speaking things into existence, right? You remember this? Genesis chapter one, is anybody in the house tonight? God is speaking things into existence. He's taking nothing and making something out of it. Not only that, but he is taking chaos and bringing order to it. Look at what scripture says. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. So there was chaos and darkness and dysfunction all over the earth. But then the spirit of God was hovering over that. And what did God do? He started bringing order into everything. He creates light and he separates it from darkness. He creates land and separates it from the water. He, he makes animals. He makes people. He makes uh, mountains. Everything is perfect at the beginning of creation. Somebody say perfect. Everything's perfect. You've got perfect creation, perfect Bob Ross-looking mountains in the distance. You've got, praise God, perfect weather, perfect people, perfect relationship with God. Everything is what? Everything is perfect. And you know what's interesting? The word that God uses to describe his perfect world is not the word perfect. Look at this. Genesis 1:31 it says and God saw everything that he made and behold it was very good. That's interesting. 
It was very good. So what does that mean? God looks at everything that is functioning exactly how it's supposed to function, and it's all in its original designed state, and his response to that is, that is good. That is very good. That is full of goodness. Now, most of us, we know what happens in Genesis. It doesn't stay this way. Adam and Eve, they sin, right? They sin, and then this catastrophic event takes place. It's called the fall, and what happened was God's good creation was not good anymore, but it didn't go from good to bad. It went from good to broken. Now, write this down. That's because the opposite of good is not bad. The opposite of good is broken. Now, there's something very different about something being bad and something being broken. Adam and Eve, listen to me, they weren't bad when they sinned. They were broken. They weren't bad after disobeying God's commandment. They were dead. Somebody say, you dead. They weren't bad. They were dead. And that's because God warned them. He said, hey, I'm going to tell you exactly what happens if you take from this tree. It's not that you're going to be bad. It's not, gonna, that, not that I'm going to look at you any differently. It's that when you eat from this tree, you will what? Surely die. Surely die. And so what happens after the fall is catastrophic because God's creation didn't go from good to less good. It didn't go from good to bad. It went from good to broken. Everything was broken. Every single part of our human existence, of humanity, was broken. Spirit, soul, and body. Now, who of y'all were here for Pastor David's message uh, at the beginning of this series, week two? Pastor David, if you remember talked about how we are created in the image of God. And God is a triune being. You know that? God is a triune being. He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And similarly, not in the same way, but because we're created in his image, similarly, we are a triune being. We are a spirit. Somebody say spirit. Spirit. We are a soul. Soul. And we are a body. body. Body, right? We're spirit, soul, and body. And brokenness through the fall, touched every single part of our human existence, our spirits, our souls, and our bodies. What does brokenness mean? If you're taking notes, write this down. Brokenness is having been fractured or damaged and no longer in one piece, this is the best part though, no longer in working order. So humanity, you need to understand, humanity without Jesus is no longer in working order. We're broken. If, if Jesus ain't a part of our life, it doesn't matter how we do things. It doesn't matter how we relate to one another, how we do business, how we think about other people, or how we even think about ourselves. If we're not connected to Jesus, we're broken. Yeah. We're dead. We don't work anymore. And so what is brokenness? I want to talk about brokenness real quick to give us a contrast for goodness. What does brokenness look like in us and in the human experience today. Well, number one, it's this. It's pretty obvious. It's a broken spirit. Yeah. If you're taking notes, write that down. Broken, a broken spirit. Now, what does that mean? Our spirit is the, the part of us that comes back to life, literally, when we give our lives to Jesus. So when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, if you know the story, did they just drop dead instantly after eating that fruit? No, they didn't drop dead physically but they dropped dead spiritually, instantly. They instantly dropped dead. And when we experience salvation, 
what the Bible calls being saved, what is happening in that moment is your dead spirit is being resurrected in the same way that Jesus' body was resurrected. Look at this. Ephesians 2, 4 says this. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were, what's that word? Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So this is amazing. Sometimes we get too familiar with being saved. You got to understand that from the moment that you were saved, when your spirit was made alive, that very moment, your spirit looked like what Adam and Eve's spirit looked like before sin ever entered the world. How crazy is that? Your dead spirit is instantly resurrected. And guess what? You can never earn that. You can never work for that. But how many of you know, when you got saved, you still had some problems, right? You still had some problems. But that's because with a broken spirit, what what does that mean? Well, if we have a broken spirit, we are unable to live the life God has called us to live on this earth. That's during our life on earth and after our life on earth. It's impossible with a broken spirit. That means that God has called every person, originally designed every person to walk through this life connected to him, in relationship with him, trusting in him, partnering with him. But any of that stuff is completely impossible if you're walking with a dead spirit. And what's crazy, this is crazy. You can still have fun with a dead spirit. You can still be happy with a dead spirit. You can be rich with a dead spirit. You can have friends. You can do good things. But if you have a dead spirit, it is impossible to walk in the abundant life that Jesus offers believers. It's impossible. You have to be born again. A person who has never placed their faith in Jesus can even do Christian things outwardly, but not live the Christian life. It's because their spirit is dead. Somebody say dead. And it has to be resurrected. This is the brokenness that looks like in our spirit. But even after salvation, we still have issues because our souls are broken and our bodies are broken. So I want to look at the next thing, a broken soul. Write this down, a broken soul. What does this look like? Well, quick refresher. What is a soul? A soul is a mind. It's your will and it's your emotions. Does that ring a bell? It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your soul is where you feel things. It's where you make decisions. It's, it's the person that you know. The, uh, it's the person that people relate to. That is your soul. And our soul is the thing that has to be transformed to the image of Jesus over time. And this transformation is not automatic. I wish it was, but it's not automatic. And it actually, God makes it really clear that he will not force this transition for us. It's something that we get to choose to do. Look at this. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand. Now, all that's really good news until you read the last part. Because look at what the last part says. That we should walk in them. Key word being should. That means you are God's workmanship. You don't have to do anything to earn that. If you're a believer, God created you and you are his workmanship. And he created you for good works. Doesn't matter what your past was. Doesn't matter what sin you're struggling with. He created you for good works. That you should walk in them. Key word being should. We should walk in the goodness that God has for us. It's better than anything else, but it's not automatic. And when we look at the fall, 
in Genesis, I think there are three things that characterize a broken soul. And I want to spend a couple moments on this because when our spirit is made alive, there's nothing we can do to change that. We are made alive by the grace of God. But the transformation part, that's the hard part. So what does a broken soul look like? Well, number one is this, a broken soul tries to be in control. Ooh, I threw a little rhyme in there. I didn't even mean to do that. A broken soul tries to be in control. Now, when we, we know the story. When Adam and Eve are in the garden, they had pretty clear boundaries. Would you say so? Pretty clear boundaries. Eat from any tree in this garden except that one. Don't eat from that one or you will surely die. But then crafty little snake shows up. Look what the enemy says to them. The serpent said to the woman, you won't die. God knows that the moment you eat from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything ranging from good to evil. Now, when the woman saw that the tree looked good eating, there's that word good again, and realized that she, what she would get out of it, she'd know everything. She took and ate from the fruit and then gave some to her husband and he ate. This is what brokenness looks like in our souls. Adam and Eve, in this moment, what they did was they attempted to step into the role of God and determine what is good and determine what is not good. So God said, it is not good to eat from this tree. But Eve didn't like that. And neither did Adam. And so you know what they did? They tried to take control and say, this is good. I'm not going to trust what God says for my life. And this is what brokenness looks like in us when we try to take control of the goodness of God apart from God. Are you hearing me? It's when we try to step in the goodness of God in our own terms, apart from God. This is why people do things like steal. Think about it. It's an attempt to provide apart from working for something, from earning it. This is why people manipulate other people. It's an attempt to get an outcome from somebody and you get the benefits, but they don't. This is what it looks like. Students, I'm just curious, are there any areas in your life where if you were to take an analysis of your, of your life, there's a brokenness that you are trying to take control of the goodness of God, but you're doing it apart from him. Maybe you're trying to experience approval from your friends at school, and you think that pleasing them is actually going to be better than pleasing God. And so you find yourself doing things that your friends will say, it's good, but you know God says, it's not good. Maybe you're trying to take control of your provision. And maybe for you, you have a hard time trusting God with things like finances. You know, the word says that we're to trust God with our finances. We're to bring to God what's already his. Maybe you struggle with something like the tithe. And what you're doing in that moment is you are trying to control provision for yourself. You're trying to control the goodness of God for yourself. This is what a broken soul looks like. The second thing is this. We see this in the garden. A broken soul tries to hide. A broken soul tries to hide. Before Adam and Eve take the fruit from that tree, we have this interesting detail that we're given at the end of chapter two, and it says this. It seems random, but it's not random. It says, the man and his wife were naked, uh-oh, and were not ashamed. They were naked and not ashamed. So before sin entered into God's perfect creation, goodness looked like this, being naked and feeling no shame. 
Now, what I'm not telling you is that the way of the Spirit is to go around and be naked, okay? Some of you are like, whew, okay. Pastor Jackson was telling me, I gotta go be naked. Don't do that. You're gonna get in trouble. Don't do that. Don't do that, please. But listen to me. This is a really important detail for us to see. They were physically naked, but I think that it also, what we're getting a picture of is full transparency with God. They were fully transparent with God and felt no shame about it. That means nothing was hidden in their life to God. Are you hiding things from God? Nothing was hidden for God. They, commuted, they, they communicated everything with God, everything with each other. Everything was in the light and it was visible. Are you hearing me? But what's interesting is directly after they sinned, the first emotion they felt was this thing called shame. And the first thing they did in response to that shame is hide from God. It's the first thing they did. And this is what shame causes us to do. Shame causes us to run from the good God who created us. Shame causes us to build a wall between us and the good God who actually wants to restore us. That's because a broken soul tries to hide from God. And the last thing is this, a broken soul tries to deflect, deflect. What do I mean by that? Well, it looks like the inability to repent. It's the inability to just take ownership of the fact that I missed God's standard. I sinned, I messed up, I need you, God. Deflecting is the inability to do that. And in the fall, Adam and Eve's brokenness caused them to deflect their sin onto everybody else but themselves. This is actually really funny if you read it because God comes to Adam and God's like, dude, Adam, what happened? What happened, dude? And, and Adam responds to God and he says, she made me do it and you gave her to me. So <laughs> Adam deflects his sin onto Eve and then passive-aggressively passive does it to God at the exact same time. He's like, she did it, and you gave her to me. And then he comes to Eve, and he's like, Eve, what happened? And Eve's like, the devil made me do it. And do you see how there's this inability to just own yeah. our shortcomings? They deflected their sin onto everybody else. They pretended to be in the right. They tried to make themselves look good. And I love this quote, it's from one of my favorite pastors. He says, John, this is John Tyson, he says, God cannot change who you're pretending to be. God cannot change who you're pretending to be. And this is why we need full transparency with God. This is what God's called us to. And so what do we see in this creation story with the fall? We see a broken spirit, we see a broken soul, and the last part is obvious, a broken body. You know, sickness was not God's original design. Yeah. Do you know that? Yeah. Sickness was not a part of God's original design. Striving and struggling for our provision was not a part of God's original design. Even death was not a part of God's original design. But what happened? Sin came into the world. Brokenness entered into our bodies. And now we struggle with things like sickness. We struggle with things like lack. And then eventually all of us, what happens? We die. That's because brokenness touched every part of our humanity. But what about goodness? Y'all ready to get into goodness? Last five minutes. I'm going to wrap this up real quick. Don't, don't worry about it. What does goodness look like? I want to invite the band come up as we get ready to close. This is the good stuff, no pun intended. Here's, here's the good thing about the fruit of goodness. 
goodness is not about just doing nice things for people. I want you to hear me tonight. It's about restoring broken things back to God's good design. And some of y'all did not get that. I'm going to read that again for you. Goodness is not just doing nice things. Goodness, the way of goodness, is restoring broken things back to God's good design. So what does this look like practically? What does this look like? Well, remember in Ephesians chapter 2, we're told that God created us for what? Good works. And then in Acts 10, I read to you about how Jesus went around doing good and healing people, right? So if we look at the life of Jesus, what we see in Jesus is the way of goodness modeled perfectly. When we look at Jesus, we see the way of goodness modeled perfectly. And what did Jesus do? Jesus sought out the brokenness to restore it back to God's original intent. And he did this for every part of our humanity, our spirit, our soul, and our body. This is what goodness looks like. Goodness looks like this. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Goodness looks like helping people know God. And this is the vision of our church, helping people know God. What am I talking about? I'm talking about broken spirits being made alive again. This is, what, this is what Jesus came to do, and this is what we partner with Jesus to do when we walk in the way of goodness. No, you need to know Jesus, when he was on this earth, he didn't just walk around hanging out with sinners, giving people words of encouragement, doing nice stuff. Jesus recognized that people were walking around with dead spirits and needed to be saved. And so Jesus, when he was on this earth, was actively telling people to repent, to surrender to God, and to follow him. Are you hearing me? I'm talking about salvation. Now, somebody that I wanna shout out that does this so well is my boy, Garris. I love Garris. Make some noise for Garris tonight. If uh, Garris, Garris told me about this amazing testimony and I asked him if I could share it with you guys tonight because this is, this is the way of goodness in action. Okay, are you ready for this? This is such a cool testimony. So Garris tells me about this last week. Um, He's, he's one of our leaders at New Song Students, if you don't know him. And something that he loves to do is he loves to tell people about Jesus. I wish more people liked to do that as much as Karis did, man. He is like Jesus. He's looking for broken spirits and not just looking at them and being like, I'll pray for you. No, he's actively looking for ways to restore people back to God. And so last week or two weeks ago, Garris told me that he was walking around Lake Hefner and he noticed a guy sitting on a bench and this guy is just weeping. He's just by himself in the bench, looking at the lake, crying. Now, Garris did something that not everybody would do in this moment. Most of us would just see that and be like, that's weird, and keep walking. <laughs> or maybe we would be like, if I remember, I'll pray for him tonight before I go to bed. <laughs> that's not what Garris did though. Garris sat next to this dude, shared the gospel with him. This guy gets saved on this park bench. Now, little does Garris know, before he went up to, to sit with him, this guy is crying out to God and saying, God, if you are real, give me a sign. Give me a sign, show me that you're real. And then here, here comes Garris, sits next to him, shares with him the gospel. This guy gets saved. His spirit is resurrected. Are you hearing me? This is where the story gets good though. It's not even good yet. So this guy, his name's Carlos, right? So Carlos goes and tells his family what just happened. I was sitting on a park bench. 
I was crying out to God. This man sat next to me and he led me to Christ. Now I'm saved. His brother goes to New Song Church. So his brother has been praying for Carlos and he's like, hey, I know it's last minute, but you should come with me to men's retreat this weekend. So this guy goes to men's retreat. Now think about this, he's fresh baby Christian. He's just been saved days ago. He's in a room full of strangers and then Garris walks into the auditorium. This is the God that we serve, guys. This is the God that we serve. And what I love about that story is Garris was walking in the way of goodness because he didn't just see a broken spirit and do nothing about it, he did something about it. He said, I wanna restore you back to your original state. I want you to know God like I know God, amen? I love this quote from Edmund Burke. He says, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. The only way evil is gonna triumph in our world is when good Christians do nothing. And that's not the way of goodness. We're called to partner with God, to see people know him, restored back to a relationship with him. The second thing is this, goodness looks like practicing the way of Jesus. And if you know, here at New Song, this is another part of our vision. And what does this mean? This means being transformed to look like Jesus. You know, when you are actively seeking God and being transformed by him, you are walking in the way of goodness. Because what you're doing in that moment is you're acting like the moon does to the sun. What does the moon do? Does the moon shine on its own? No, all it is doing is keeping its face pointed at the sun. What is it doing? It's reflecting all of that goodness onto our earth. When we are walking in the way of goodness, what we are doing is we are just looking in the face of Jesus enough that we are reflecting his goodness to the people around us. And the last thing is this, goodness looks like serving, giving, and praying for healing over people. And I wanna just really quickly before we close, speak on this healing part because I recognize that one day all of us, our bodies will fail and we will die one day. But I also recognize that we serve a God who is a healer. We serve a good God. And part of God's goodness is the fact that he paid for healing in full for us. So you know what the way of goodness looks like? It looks like when you hear about your friend who is sick, you pray for them right there. And you don't just pray things like, God, if it's your will, would you heal him? But if not, it's okay. No, 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 no. That's not the way of goodness. Goodness is this. If it's an elbow injury, elbow, be healed in the name of Jesus. Because that's the reality of the kingdom. And if it's not gonna happen today, I'm gonna keep praying it tomorrow. Be healed in the name of Jesus. The way of goodness is bringing kingdom realities into our world today. And it's making our world look more like God's original state today. Are you following me? This is what we're called to do. This is how we practice the way of goodness. I wanna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we get ready.